I would say if you have made up your mind that you like being an entrepreneur, if you like building something from ground up, and if you like other people using what you build, and you get happiness and joy out of that, there is no other. At least in my experience, there is nothing else that gives you a more fulfilling, you know, experience at the end of the day than you know. Starting a company, building it to a point where people actually see value in it and use it, and tell you how great that is. It's a phenomenal experience. You'll be poor for the longest time, but you will be a very, very happy poor person. Welcome to the In Factor conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and our next guest. Rupak Doshi has over 15 years of experience with startups, industry, and academia. He is the current co-founder and CEO of OmniSync, a software platform that guides entrepreneurs through step-by-step execution of essential projects that stem from the overall mission of raising funds to launch and scale their companies. In this interview, Rupak and I discuss how he got started through Incubator and Investor Group Launch Factory, and his vision that OmniSync will ensure that every entrepreneur is able to find the resources needed to bring their concept to reality. I'm delighted to have Rupak with me today, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So, Rupak, thank you for joining me today on Infactor. Of course, my pleasure. So I'm really excited to have you. You're the co-founder of OmniSync. Can you tell us a little about OmniSync? What's the company? What's the problem you solve? Who's your customer? Yeah, sure. So OmniSync is a San Diego-based startup that spun out of a startup studio called Launch Factory. Uh-huh. And we are a software company that's helping startups apply for funding from the government through grants and contracts. Oh, that's really fascinating. So you mentioned Launch Factory. We're going to get into that a little bit more, but but actually you've been a founder of other companies before, but this particular company came out of Launch Factory where the founders actually identified this as an opportunity and you and your partner came together and you're shaping it. Is that correct? Is that how that works? That's, co- that's correct. Yeah. So they do what's called a founder's recruitment process. Uh-huh. And so they go on a nationwide hunt to look for people to lead the startups that they want to spin out. And so we participated in a nationwide hunt 2019. That was their first one. So we're actually Launch Factory's first ever company. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. yeah so so we, we're the GOAT. Yeah. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I had the chance to talk with Brad Chisholm, who is, I think, mm-hmm. one of the founders. So, yeah. so it's a really interesting concept. But let's talk about you a little bit more. And I know this isn't your first company. You have a very impressive background in the biotech and biochemistry. And you've got 15 years of experience as a scientist, researcher, business mm-hmm. founder. Could you talk to us a little bit about how you got to this point in your entrepreneurial journey? Tell us a little about your other businesses. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Yeah. So when I was growing up, I wanted to be a doctor for the long, longest time I could remember uh-huh. because I love biology right from like, you know, childhood days. And then after high school, I basically could not get myself to study hard enough to get through all the entrance examinations uh, that <laughs> occur back in India. And they are very intense. Right. And, you know, the number of like very, very highly educated people who apply for those is very high. And those folks are actually studying and coaching for months, even years 
to get through those medical institutions, colleges. And I didn't do even like a quarter of that work. And so I just tried winging it and obviously it didn't work. And so I did not get into medical school. Turned out that that was actually a great thing for me because my girlfriend basically asked me to try biotech instead. I was like, oh, that, that sounds cool. I mean, I, I like tech and I like bio. That, that might work. Mm-hmm. And so I did undergrad in biotech in India. And then I enjoyed it so much that I decided to decide to keep pursuing that. And so I, I went to England to do a master's mm-hmm. and then did a PhD there as well. Now, in the middle of this all in India, I actually had a tiny startup that I founded with a cousin of mine. And it was in the consumer biotech space. It was basically designed as a natural way to repel mosquitoes for malaria and dengue in oh. India. And that seemed to work really well. And so while we didn't get to actually market the product, the formulation that we created and you know the concepts and knowledge base that we created actually was acquired by a mother group. So that was my first like little tiny startup, nice. like in a yeah. small acquisition success. And that was the first time I tasted something like that, the success like that. And it was very, very like awesome. So when did some more education because I want to do this in a much bigger and much better way. And so did a master's, did a PhD at Cambridge. That was all in biomedical sciences and then came out here in the US to do a postdoc. And the only reason I came here to the US, to San Diego, was to work with the specific lab with Dr. Chang at Scripps Research Institute. And then we moved to UCSD was because he was offering me two projects that basically were about to spin out into industry. And so that was always the goal for me of doing, like being in academia, I always wanted to get to industry as soon as possible, or at least have something that I make actually, you know, come out and be useful mm-hmm. to people outside of the universities. Mm-hmm. And so this was the way in which I thought I could move, you know, from academia into more of an applied, you know, research setting. And so came out here, did a postdoc for about four years. And then I worked on antibody technologies during my postdoc. And through that process, I actually got in touch with this biotherapeutics company called Inhibrix in San Diego. And then as soon as I was done with my postdoc, I went over, the, over to them and I was like, guys, I'm available. Shall we start working together? And so they were like, yeah, sure. Join us next Monday. No. <laughs> and I was like, so there was like no job posting, nothing at all. Basically, they were like, sure, because we know you, we know what you've done. It's, it's cool to work with you. So like, let, let, let's start working together. Yeah. And so I joined them and then I was, I think I was employed number like 25 or 30 or something like that. And then in the three years that I was there, the company scaled to like over 90 people. And basically went public last year. So it was great to see that, like, you know, a small, medium-sized, like, pretty successful biotherapy company get to the best point in their lives, like, at at the time being. And then during the end of that period, I came across Launch Factory's concept. Now, the part that I missed was at, while at UCSD, my current co-founder, actually, who, who was interning with me at the time in the laboratory, both of us also kind of came up with another idea that we actually, we had a few other partners outside of university who led that company. And it was kind of like our baby, our idea that they were basically commercializing. And so that was the second company that I was involved with somewhat on like a, this is kind of my brainchild kind of a way. Right. And that was, it was again in in consumer biotech. So that was a product that it was a formulation, but moistened into towels that you can apply on yourself to cool down on a hot sunny day or to cool down after a rigorous training exercise or, you know, a marathon or something like that. Uh And so that, and then by the time I was done with that company, the company had successfully launched the product in the market. We had very, very strong customers. For example, we had the Levi Stadium as one of our customers. 
because they had our product go out to all the fans at the 49ers nice. on one of the Super Bowl finals. Nice. So that was pretty cool. And then we also had the military, like folks in the military who used it for acclimatization when they go into hot climates and stuff like that. So uh-huh. it was really nice to see, again, the second taste of success where something you developed actually was commercialized and being used by people and being liked. And so that was the, the, the second time that I really tasted that kind of success. And so doing that a bit, like always dabbling on the side, I was, and after finishing my work within Hybrix, I was pretty much at the time when I wanted to do this full time. So then that's what I saw Launch Factory's, you know, job, pretty much like a job posting of this founder's recruitment process. And I was like, you know what, this sounds like a really good deal for me to try for. And so I, my co-founder and I, we tried it and we won. And so that's kind of what, what led us to this. So you and Norman actually came into this together. That's your co-founder, right, Norman? Exactly. So exactly. you came in as a team. Sometimes mm-hmm. I know Launch Factory actually teams people up, but you all came together. So you had worked together and knew each other, right? That was kind of our strength. So the way we put together the application, it was very evident that that's what basically set us apart because we knew each other's working styles so well and strengths and weaknesses that we were able to complement each other like phenomenally. So, so like we've worked together in the laboratory, you know, we've co-published papers together. We also dabbled in a startup together for a while. So we kind of pretty much knew each other's like pretty much every angle of how we work. And so it was very easy for us to kind of, you know, put things together towards this entire launch factory process that, that occurs over the four six week period. And that kind of, it showed when we did our presentations and we put together the materials, it showed that this was a cohesive story, you know, that the the tech and the business were were kind of aligned. So you've kind of switched gears a little bit with regard to the kind of company that you're working with, right? How does OmniSync fit with what you've been doing? You know, I know the startup process, there are many, many similarities, but are you finding that your experiences before prepared you well for what you're doing with this new company, which is, which is arguably, you know, in a different kind of space? Yeah, it's totally different. I mean, it's a tech company, right? Yeah. I didn't know the ABC of software before. Right. You know? So it was very intimidating at first, obviously, right? Getting into something that I had no clue about. But at the same time, what we did do is we took Launch Factory's original concept that they gave us and we made it our own. Like my co-founder is also a bioengineer. So he also has a life science background. You know, so both of us, we didn't go into it trying to build a business that would not work if we didn't have our own expertise in it. Mm -hmm. So we made it our own in a way that now it actually makes sense. So we help startups apply for funding through government grants. Now, guess who else applies for a bunch of government grants? Academics. Any, People absolutely. who've been trained in academia. Yep, you know, yep. So we know, we know grants left, right, and center because we've done it for years and years in the past. And we know how to write papers. We know how to write. You know, so we understand that process really well. And when we went, went through the whole customer discovery process with finding out what our customers were lacking, what were their problems day to day, that was our, our discovery was that we found that entrepreneurs knew about the programs with the government where they can get the money, but they were way too scared to even try because they thought that it was a mammoth undertaking, which it absolutely is if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Going through government paperwork is no easy task for people who don't know how to do it. And so we were like, all right, we know how to do this. They're finding it hard. It sounds like the industry needs easy software to make it happen. This is a perfect fit. 
Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that process. So, so it sounds like you came in and there was maybe the shell of a technology, but you were able to shape it. Is that the typical process? You know, is that how you get selected from all? I know there were a lot of people that, that went through this process. So I'm assuming each team brought their own unique perspective. Is that how it worked? And how did, I guess, if you could talk us through what it looked like at first to what it is now, given your influence. Yeah. So that's actually one of the, the cool, interesting, and somewhat surprising things about Launch Factory, right? So they ideate companies and they find founders to run those companies. Mm-hmm. They expect that whatever due diligence that they've done on the idea of the company gives founders a really good head start to then start executing on the plan day one. The idea that we were given was that you would create a software platform to help small businesses like your mom and pop shops, restaurants, you know, those sorts of businesses find resources to help them on a day-to-day basis on the operation side of things. So like find a CPA, find a lawyer, that sort of stuff. So we came in, we took that. And obviously we didn't know the first thing about small business. We didn't know the first thing about CPAs or lawyers. But we knew startups because we'd done it. And we knew startups had problems in the, in the biotech and tech side because we were in that space. So basically, we took that concept and morphed it. And, and now it's a company that helps startups you know, help with the similar kind of operations where, where fundraising is one of the biggest things that they need to do. Sure. And so that's, what, that's how the idea has evolved into what we're doing now. It did go through a pretty rigorous customer discovery process where we were trying to push on the idea of whether small businesses are going to be using this kind of a software to find CPAs and lawyers. And we found some diligence and we found some traction. We found some problems with it. And so throughout that entire customer discovery process, we figured out that what we're doing now is the most appropriate and strategic way to move forward. So that's the like So founders do have that freedom to be able to, I guess you can call it pivot, right? The idea and make it their own in terms of what makes sense to them. Otherwise, it's very hard to execute on somebody else's idea. Sure. If, if you're not, if, if you don't make it your own. Yeah. Those are two very, very different markets going from small business and finding, you know, resources, CPAs, maybe information about how to get, you know, bank funding or how to file a license or get a permit or something like that to working with high-tech biotech companies. You know, one of the problems with, and I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs over the year, and one of their problems is they don't have money. So it's really hard sometimes when <laughs> when that's your target and you want to get, you know, compensated for what you do for them. How do you get around that? Yeah, it's definitely been one of the both challenges and fun things to be involved with because almost no company sells to these early stage startups right? Almost no company out there has been has been like successful or is planning on really being successful in the space. Because like you said, those companies usually don't have too much money to be able to afford anything right. at the time. At the same time, what we also think is that because there's that gap, we see opportunity because we think that if we can create startups from that stage into something that where they become more interesting, then suddenly we have this entire group of very interesting clients for companies who are upmarket from us. Mm-hmm. So companies who then sell to medium, you know, stage startups. So that, that way then for us, positioning ourselves as our target for acquisition becomes very, very straightforward. Right. And so that's why we kind of 
we enjoy being in that space because we work with startups who otherwise are not getting help from most other places, at least high quality help, you know, and we provide them a service that is so desperately needed for them that they find a way to shell out money to pay us. And that's the best validation of a product market fit. Sure. When you find a very, very tough customer willing to pay for what you have, you know, you've cracked it. Right. Right. And that's, that's the whole thing. You've got to figure out whether they're willing to pay for it. So right. giving, giving it away <laughs> doesn't always work. Yeah. You really need to get yeah. people to pay for it. So, yeah. well, that's really cool. So where is OmniSync now? You started this in, at what point? In 2019? Is that right? We're, we're in October of 20 now. How long have you been in business? And, you know, how many employees do you have? What stage are you right now with the company? Yeah, so we just celebrated our first birthday. So we started on Labor Day last year, uh-huh. September 1. And so in this one year, we very quickly launched an MVP of our product. Actually, it was supposed to be a pilot, but it was so widely successful that we just wrote it out and it became our MVP because it started getting paid customers. So right now we have upwards of you know 40 customers who are paying us regularly. We've made very significant five-digit revenues from those customers as well. We've actually already helped our customers raise over one and a half million dollars in funding from the government. Nice. So it's going very, very well. We also got selected as an Evo Nexus portfolio company. So Evo mm-hmm. Nexus is one of the top accelerators in the California region. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was awesome. And we've established very key partnerships with major entrepreneurial organizations where those organizations benefit from their startups doing well. And so it becomes a very, you know, self-fulfilling partnership where the organizations, you know, refer those customers over to us and we help them out. They like it and they like the incubators because they referred such a great service to them. And and when they actually get money, then that money they can use to pay the incubators again or pay for other stuff, right? So it becomes really nice and nice in a self-funding cycle. So that's where we are right now. We're now actually launching a major you know, software upgrade. So our MVP is now becoming a V1. And that's launching on November 1 from the last you know, plan that I had. Congratulations. Uh, thank you so much. And that we've basically taken in all of the feedback and all of the data that we have so far by serving a bunch of these customers into building a platform that's much more scalable, much more self-sufficient, you know, economic from an operation standpoint. And all that. So, and we've built a lot of resources on the back end to be able to handle the scaling up part of it. So now we're actually conducting a major nationwide campaign to start scaling up. Like so far, we were focused on Southern California or San Diego for the most part because we wanted to vet out, you know, what we've made. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that your past work and the network that you built through that has been incredibly important to you as you've built this company. Would, would you say that's true? I mean, almost on a daily basis, I speak with someone who I've known from the past. It's absolutely, I mean, networking is, I mean, most of my network, I actually put one of my customer acquisition channels as networking, <laughs> whereas most people put like Google ads and Facebook ads. Uh-huh. And, you know, I have networking as one of the one of the channels because it's been such a strong you know, contributor. My first 20 you know, people who I contacted for due diligence, startups and all, they were all folks who I knew from the past. So it was much more quicker for us to be able to then get into market just because we knew the market so well. Yeah, I think that's an important lesson for a lot of the listeners that we have, because a lot of them are trying to figure out, 
you know, how to break into a market. And I think getting out there and working for a while can be huge and building that network. And I'm sure it gave you and Norman both a real advantage because you came from that background. What role does Launch Factory play now? Are they engaged as board members? Do you have space there? What's that look like, that whole experience? And how long will you be a part of Launch Factory typically? Yeah, I think Launch Factory's program is about two years, but we're also one of their favorite companies because we're there first. <laughs> so we have a special place there. Sure. We're the only company who actually got a dedicated office as well. Nice. Congratulations <laughs> in, in the, on that too. In their space. Yeah. And then they told me that they might not offer this to everybody, but OmniSync can stay there as long as they want or something like that. Also because we help other startups, right? So all of the other Launch Factory startups can get help from us as they start and spin out their companies. So it makes sense for us to incubate there longer mm-hmm. than other startups. When we started the company, they actually got founder shares, pretty much the same as Norman and me. Mm-hmm. And so they're actually co-founders in the company. That's how we treat them. They are board of director members as well. We have pretty much standing bi-weeklies together as a team. We also have our standing weeklies one-on-ones, like CEO to CEO and COO to COO. And they're also available at any time on our chat for anything that we need in terms of advice or guidance on on something. So that's kind of their role. Introductions to key players in the market, in the field, that's another one. And just being a launch factory company opens, at least for us, has opened doors to places where otherwise it would have been much harder for us to Mm -hmm. get into. Yeah, And we get taken, like at least when we were starting out, I think we got taken more seriously because we were a real company with a real place, a real you know, documentation set and money. Sure. Right? So, so I think we got taken more seriously so we could move much more quickly. Yeah. So, you know, raising money is typically a part of the journey for this kind you know, of company and a lot of the companies that you've dealt with. Have you had a lot of experience with raising money? And if so, what have you learned from that? Yeah. So raising money, I don't think it's a part of entrepreneur. I think it's the CEO's full-time job. A CEO will never stop raising money for their company, or at least thinking about how to raise the next pot of money. So that basically is a full-time job. I have had a little bit of experience. So we raised some friends and family money for my previous startups, but I haven't had experience raising professional venture and capital kind of money. That's all being assisted, you know, now through our board members who we have, who have had absolutely you know, awesome experience of raising and managing pretty large venture funds. Mm-hmm. So very quickly, I've been able to get up to speed in a very, very good way with what happens in and during like, you know, fundraising. So that's where we are right now. Yeah, that's such a great support system that you have. And you're right, raising money, you can never stop thinking about it because, you know, it's always going to, especially if you're thinking high growth company. And you mentioned exit. Talk about the vision for OmniSync. I mean, what would be, you know, as the CEO, you also have to be carrying the vision of the company. What's your vision? So if you ask me, my long-term vision is that no startup should have to go after investor money when they're starting out because a lot of them try and fail because it's the wrong time to go after right. investors. Too money. early, probably. It's, it's absolutely too early for them. So my goal would be every single startup in the U.S. should be using our platform when they're starting out till they get to that point where they're interesting for an external fundraiser, like an actual VC firm, like an actual seed round. So I would want every single startup. And right now we only serve tech and biotech kind of startups because the kind of grants we apply for are only relevant for them for the most part. 
but we absolutely have lots of plans of different kinds of fundraising avenues that will be suitable for every single entrepreneur out there, be it a startup or a small business or whatever. So I would, I basically want every single idea to see the light of day. That's kind of at least my vision. I don't like the fact that ideas and companies fail just because they didn't get a chance to even try them out. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. kind of my belief that every idea has a place in society, how, yeah. no matter how small or big, right? Every single idea has a place somewhere. That sounds like my brother who, when I was going through my PhD, he was advising me on my research and he said, there's a place to publish virtually everything you do. So that sounds like, yeah. uh, that sounds like some of your PhD background talking. And, you know, I agree with you. And I think it's a, it's a common problem. It's something we see all the time in our programs that entrepreneurs are trying to go out and raise money too soon because they have to, they have to live, they have to exist, they have to get to a point, you know, where they're worth looking at, I guess, and for an investor to really see the possibility. So really noble vision. I like that. And I, I wish you well with that. I think that's great. You know, one of the topics that I like to talk about with the entrepreneurs on this show is failure and, and challenges and resilience. You've had a lot of success along the way, I'm guessing, because almost everybody that's had any kind of success has had some failures and challenges. Do you have any stories you'd be willing to share along that line or any advice that you'd be willing to share with our listeners about dealing with some of those challenging dark times and, and how you remained, you know, how you remained resilient through that? Have a buddy. <laughs> that's the best advice that I can provide. Every single time where I've been down in the dumps, I have had a very, very close buddy help me out in one way or another. Either it was a lab mate or it was my wife, who basically is a friend for the longest time that I've known her, or it's Norman. Now, you know, have a buddy who can help you out. I can give you a couple of examples. So my PhD was not the easiest thing to go through because my PI, my principal investigator, my supervisor, and I did not have the most aligned way of doing research. Right? We, we didn't always agree on the approach to be taken to address a particular scientific question one way or another. And that led to a lot of you know, disagreements, as you mm -hmm. can imagine. And mm -hmm. I was pretty young. I mean, if you think about it, I haven't gone through the traditional route that people do go through where they take up jobs, they go through life, and then they go and get a PhD. Right? I actually went zipped through my master's. Like my bachelor's was three years. Master's was one year. And suddenly I found myself doing a PhD in my mid-20s. Really? Right? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so I was pretty young, right? I didn't have the maturity to be able to deal with those sorts of situations in a way that it doesn't harm my body, for example, right? And emotional, you know, health. Mm -hmm. And so I had the senior tech in the lab at the time, Lisa. She was basically the person who pretty much just, every time I used to get into some sort of a fight, she used to just, just hold my hand and just pull me out and take me to like the tea room as we used to have them in Cambridge, mm -hmm. pull me to the tea room and sit me down and have a chat like calm down or, or something like that. So without her, I, I can pretty much say I would have basically not finished my PhD. I would have given up sometime in the middle of it. And then recently with OmniSync, we had a situation. I think this was earlier this year. So initially when we started out, we had a very trusted partner who we used to work with pretty closely. And we shared the same vision when we started out. And so the relationship progressed and matured very, very quickly between us into like a formal relationship. And it was working pretty well. Then sometime during the middle period, the management in that company changed over. And then the new management basically did not see the right alignment of needs being met from you know, the partnership. And so it was basically getting to the point where we were finding it hard 
to be able to find commonality in the product. And so one fine day, we basically got an email that they wanted to break the partnership. And at that time, basically, we, we were reliant on them for a lot of things for our customers. And basically, I was, I was, again, I was at a place where I was like, oh, man, this is why startups die, because they get into things too soon or something mm-hmm. like that. Like, we mm-hmm. had progressed in this partnership very quickly, right? So that was one of the things that I was warned against by some people that, you know, take your time in vetting out different people, different things and all that. But we wanted to move as fast as we could, right? Startup mentality. Sure. And so at that time, I was absolutely down in the dumps again. And Norman, basically, I jumped on a call with him. And one hour or two hours that evening, I think he basically talked sense into me, you know, <laughs> to, you, to calm me down. Talked you off the cliff, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, basically calm, to calm me down, right? He knows like when my buttons get pushed, it becomes like, you know, terrible at times. And so he calmed me down basically. And then we were able to find a plan B that we actually already had in place in our minds. We never really acted on it, you know, because we didn't need to. But this was the time to bring it out and kick it in. And so we did that and first shot, it worked great. And so now we've been doing that and it's been working phenomenally well. So actually some good came out of that because we then figured out a way to do this much more sustainably and long-term than to rely on a third party, you know, partner like that. You know, I hear that story over and over again, that oftentimes what seems like the darkest hour and the most big, the biggest challenge that a creative solution to it often gives your company some unique feature that you might not have ever pursued had you not been in that situation. So it's hard to get to the point of welcoming challenge and failure and things like that. But over time, <laughs> those are the things that we learn the most from oftentimes. So great story and great insight. Thanks for sharing that. So some of our listeners might be interested in Considering a program like Launch Factory, I know there are a number of programs like this around the country and even the world. What kind of advice would you give to a potential candidate? What have you learned going through this process that maybe you you would have liked to have known before you started? So I actually have basically everything I thought was going to happen, happened. So there's like no false, like, you know, mis-expectations or nothing of that sort for me, at least personally. I have had nothing but just awesome experiences for the most part, you know, with the entire process. Yes, at times it becomes very difficult to basically handle and deal with all the cute questions because the due diligence is very strong in Launch Factory. You have to have a reason for every single thing that you're going to do. You have to have a plan for every single thing that you're going to do. You can't just wing something off. And so sometimes it does get very, very difficult to be able to deal with that. But as always, a lot of things in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense that we did it that way. And it helps, you know, to get to a better decision overall. The advice I would give is basically we were at least both Norman and I, and maybe more me than him. I was very, very certain that I wanted to become a full-time entrepreneur. Like I left a very, very good paying job in a very, very good startup or not startup now that was actually a public, going to be a public company. So I left a very, very awesome job to do this because I knew that's, I absolutely knew I had no doubts that this is what I wanted to do. And so working on it full-time to me, and it's actually more than full-time, this is not a job anymore, right? And so working like that to me, it doesn't seem like I'm doing something like ridiculously hard because I planned for it. I prepared for it. I knew exactly this is what what I wanted to do. So the advice would be get to that point before getting into such a program Like if you can try your hand at every single thing that 
you may have an inkling of a doubt that you might like or might not like, and then know exactly, you know, 100% that this is what you want to do. Because without that, it will become very, very hard to go through it. I think every now and then you'll, you'll see your friends doing other things, progressing in their careers, stepping up the ladder and all that stuff. You'll see all that around you. But if you don't have the reason for why you're doing this full-time and which basically has no questions on it, then it'll become very, very hard to keep yourself going. And Launch Factory is not a place to basically find out whether you want to be an entrepreneur or not. You basically come into the program knowing that you want to become one because they expect you to start day one. Yeah. That sounds like really great advice for anybody that wants to be an entrepreneur, really, because... I think there's kind of this idea that it's, you know, what we see a lot of times is all the glory, but we don't see all the the hard work that's behind it. And it sounds like to me, that's great advice, really. I love that. I love that. And it also sounds like to me that you vetted Launch Factory pretty well, too. And so a lot of it is about being with the people that you can work with. And at the end of the day, it sounds like it's about people, just like almost every entrepreneurial journey is. Yeah, before we signed the onboarding documents with Launch Factory, I had hours and hours of conversations with Brad on different things, different topics, all that stuff. Like we did not sign those those documents unless we were absolutely sure that this is the right thing for us moving forward and that we will have the right kind of freedom to be able to move one way or another based on what we think is right, based on our findings. Because we're scientists at the end of the day. I mean, I'm not going to believe somebody just because that person is an awesome person. You know, right. I need to right. see hard data, right? right? That's how we all scientists are, right? We need to see hard evidence objectively to be able to figure out whether this is good. So here, as objective as you can get while talking to a person, yes. <laughs> you, know, yes. uh, you would get to that point, right? So right. For the years of dealing with that many people, I think we've become fairly okay at like figuring out personalities pretty quickly when you talk to people. So we have, we did our due diligence in, so you, you go through the founder's recruitment process. That's a four, six week process where you get to know the launch factory, their people, all that stuff. And then there's that period in the middle when you do get selected and between the selection and starting that period in the middle, that's kind of the period where you have to have to do everything in your power to talk to as many people within launch factory to make sure that this is an environment that you will like working with. Because you will, right? There's no way you'll take the money and be on your way. <laughs> right, right. You'll be working with a launch factory. So you have to be, you know, on the same level in terms of your ideologies, your thought processes, beliefs in like, you know, evidence-based decisions and things like that. Some of the core values that that launch factory has. Right. That's really great advice. So, so really, I think that's, you know, a lot of self-awareness and a lot of due diligence is really kind of summing it up. That really great advice. Well, Rupak, this has been a great conversation. I've learned a lot and I'm really excited to see what happens with OmniSync. If, if I could ask you, I always ask everybody before we end the show, if you had one piece of advice to give to an aspiring entrepreneur, and you've already given some great advice, <laughs> so, but if you had one thing to leave with our listeners, what would that be? I would say if you have made up your mind that you like being an entrepreneur, if you like building something from ground up, and if you like other people using what you build and you get happiness and joy out of that, there is no other, at least in my experience, there's nothing else that gives you a more fulfilling, you know, experience at the end of the day than, you know, 
starting a company, building it to a point where people actually see value in it and use it and tell you how great that is. It's a phenomenal experience. You'll be poor for the longest time, but you will be a very, very happy poor person. <laughs> and who knows, down the road, there might be some money at the end of all that, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's, I mean, everything is done at the end to, to basically get financial you know, independence, of course. And everybody's working towards that to, in some degree or another, right? Yeah, it's more than the money. It yeah. definitely, it has to be. It always has to be because you can sell ice creams and make money. You know, right. there's, there's many other ways to make money. This is a very tough one to do it, but you do it because you really, really love doing it. Yeah. So it, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much, Rupak. How can our listeners find out more about OmniSync and maybe connect with you? So I'm very active on LinkedIn. Just look me up, add me. I don't have any security you know, measures in place. You can add me on. So just fine. I'm very responsive that way. Our website is of our first product, which is turbospir.com. So our product was modeled after TurboTax. Mm-hmm. And that's why we called it Turbo SPIR. And that's because SPIR grants is what we help uh-huh. startups apply for. So that's again, turbospir.com is our website. So look up our product. You can contact us on there. You can, you can get in touch with me on LinkedIn. But yeah, I'm pretty well available for chit-chatting for the most part. That's one of the CEO's jobs as well, networking. Yeah. So maybe there's a company out there that can benefit from what you do too. So hopefully we can match you up with a few a few entrepreneurs. Rupak, it's been great talking to you today. Thank you for taking the time and good luck with everything. It sounds exciting and, and I'm going to be watching your story. Thank you so much. It was very, very nice to have the conversation with you as well. So thanks for the opportunity. Sure.